We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped gum to teeth in your throat, tiger, without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jaren Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. I'm Jaron Surf, and this is Yubi Digress, your storytelling guide to work, play, and life. What you're about to hear is the first half of a longer conversation on the four essential beats of narrative, and how storytellers have used them both now and in the past to compel, inspire, repulse, or attract. As you listen, I invite you to think of your favorite stories, fiction or not, and why they've had such an impact. Then consider the most powerful moments you were reminded of, and how you were moved from the first being to the last. Oh, and this was recorded during my recovery from a cervical spine surgery. So if you hear a bit of a lisp at times due to a few numbed or dead nerves, that's why. I hope you enjoy the show. We all feel the sad, the funny, the beautiful, but the weird is unique. It's human. It's what makes us care about people. I'm your host, Jared Surf, and here with me today are the brothers Herman, David, Stephen, and Thomas. They're an odd trio, and they are related somehow, but I'll let them tell you how. We have to, we have to explain ourselves? You didn't tell me this. Well, um, uh, a long time ago, <laughs> two people met and decided, never mind. And uh, then there were the jellyfish. And then there <laughs> were the jellyfish, which oddly enough, have something to do with increasing memory these days. Commercials told me so. Were those before or after the pills? I'm not touching that. I'm not putting that in my pants. Uh, actually, that's the new logo for the Samsung Note. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, oh, we're off to a good start. We are off to a very good start. So, the three of you are creatives, and among other things, you run the podcast, the Geekly Oddcast. Tom, mm-hmm. as the host of that, do you care to explain what it is you guys do there? Uh, so the Geekly Oddcast was basically born out of uh, in the last year and a half or so. I started joining in uh, another two podcasts and decided that, you know, I have very strange and odd conversation with friends and I should share it with the world. And so we basically toss up, you know, very geeky topics and leave it to open discussion to kind of get people's thoughts and opinions on them. And when we stay on point, it's highly entertaining. And when we go off point, it's even more so. <laughs> I don't think there's such a thing as going off point. You, as the resident Lewis Black of the show, have no say on that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel honored and insulted at the same time. <laughs> Precisely. So let me ask you this. Why are you three good people to have on to talk about narrative and the essential beats or heartbeats behind them? We watch a lot of stuff. I think it, it goes beyond just watching a lot of stuff. <laughs> So, so you have we eyeballs. do. Okay, we'll establish yeah. that. Stephen and I still need to introduce <laughs> is, is, uh, <laughs> No, 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 no. You are just stock puppets for Dom. <laughs> I'm, I like this. Um, so, Considering you have a sock puppet. This is true. But we tend to delve a little deeper. I mean, yes, we have things that we, we truly enjoy, and that's really where we'll tend to, to dig in to the finer points. But we don't just watch something and go, ooh, that was fun, and move on. We, we pick at it. And we keep digging until we kind of, I go, I don't know, try and figure out what made it work 
and I hate we don't generally diagnose it as such, but that's kind of about what we're doing. We're looking behind, going, "Gee, what made this work? What made that funny?" We have and, an entire episode of the Geekly Oddcast, which is about how we would have done the Star Wars prequels. And I know on some level, a lot of people have done that. But this is the kind of tactic we take. It's not enough to say why something's bad, although we do. And it's not enough to say why something's good, although we do that too. We also like to to really get into like the reasons behind the reasons. I run a, uh, a cartoon review show uh, that uh, with the, the name of Wasted Years on YouTube. And a lot of times I think way too deeply about what are mostly shows for, you know, kids and young college students. And it's fun. Stephen, you probably have a bit of a different background from the other two. What draws you into these kinds of conversations? Unfortunately, I like to talk about things too much. So I... This is why you're a philosopher, yes? Right. I was going to say, I'm in a career where my role is to talk about things, to think about things, and to argue about things. Past when anybody gives a shit. I would say that's I would say that's a good description of my career. So I'm the guy in the corner talking about how, you know, maybe this point could have been done better, or what is it real what what is the true meaning of the new total recall movie? And I'll be there talking three hours after people after people have stopped caring. Uh so I think that uniquely qualifies me to ramble on about nonsense for hours on end. Well, That's, your your professor certainly requested. So that reminds, <laughs> that reminds me. Yeah, well, the three of us actually have very strong opinions about how the recent Total Recall movie about whether it's real or is it recall. We have strong opinions on this, and we dig into the lighting in the scenes to determine which one it is. Like is we, it, that's how deeply we dig. And this is still predicated on the basis that the movie wasn't that great. That's true. <laughs> it wasn't. It was actually a lot better than people gave it credit for, but it. It was kind of a forgettable movie. When well, hold on, when you're when you're calling it better than the movie gets, gets it credit for is dependent on your very particular interpretation of what was going on in that movie. I think there might be a problem. I'll do you one. We're for a while, and sadly, we haven't done it in a while, and there are varying reasons why. But scheduling is one of the big ones. We used to love going to like opening weekends for movies and doing reviews. I still remember when we did Pirate Band of Misfits. Oh, still, I do not understand how that has 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. No, there's no explanation. That movie was awful. So you can see the three of them have a vested interest in narratives and storytelling. And particularly, as I brought with them today, the question of what drives a good story, or in some cases, a terrible one. I don't know if we'll weigh in on Total Recall in entirety today, but I do want to bring up the, the germ behind this idea. So... I was recovering from spinal surgery earlier this year, and I listened to a ton of podcasts because reading was difficult. One of the ones that piqued my interest and I hadn't encountered before was a show called Everything Comes Up Podcast, which is hosted by two comedians, Julia Prescott and Allie Gertz. If you've never listened to it before, it's quite a lark. Its premise basically is that they have two of their friends, writers, sometimes the showrunners themselves of The Simpsons, on to talk about an episode, and it runs the gamut from this was funny to this was my life, and then we made it a show. The one that caught me, and the one that I've been chewing over as I thought about what to launch this season on, was a piece on the secret war of Lisa Simpson, which is when she and Bart go off to military academy, Bart because he's forced to, Lisa because she wants a better education. Those are to some degree beside the point, although the show is perhaps a great example of the four narrative beats, those being the sad, the funny, the beautiful, and the weird. But the reason this episode from the Every Show, Everything Becomes a Podcast stuck with me is that they discuss in the context of that episode another experience called Cinefamily, where they will find old shows, 
When I say old, I mean from our childhood. So this is, in this case, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. was only on three seasons, but... The show is amazing. Yeah, you don't find many things like it. And the audience had a chance to sit and grill the creators of the show about why it worked when it didn't, and why, to some degree, they were never able to find that magic formula, or at least recreate it the same way again. And the response given by, I believe it was Chris Viscardi, I'll have to check up on this, was that there were four ingredients, there were four concepts. There was the sad, or I think the way he said it was, there was the funny, there was the sad, there was the strange, and there was the beautiful. When they managed to put all four of them together into an episode, something resonated beyond that. You found the right fit. You connected with the lives of your audience and made it something real beyond just the show as they saw it. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. Is this only an ingredient or a recipe for this show? Does it only work in this context? So I called the brothers Herman on to argue about whether or not this idea of having the four essential heartbeats, sad, funny, beautiful, and weird, whether they work in a general sense of storytelling, whether they don't, where they break down or not. And then after we talk about some examples, we will attempt to create our own story live on the air to your hopeful entertainment and unlikely chagrin. <laughs> It's interesting that it comes from Pete and Pete, because when you look at it in that context, you, you really sort of get an idea of what the, the words mean and how, because you, you think about it, like, those are some very specific words and beautiful and some, well, some of them have some, some very wide ranging meanings. And Pete and Pete is not what I would call a beautiful show, but it is, there's a, there's a softness and a nostalgia to it, even within the show. It's a, I believe the premise is it's supposed to be the older Pete tell, reminiscing about stories from his childhood. And these are the stories. It's kind of sort of a, a, a wonder years on drugs. It is. I believe the writer expressed that he wanted to create a show where he could live the childhood he'd wanted to have, in a sense, or at least share that nostalgia, that experience, that desire for a certain kind of childhood that we all remember ours as. And when they do Strange, they play it to the hilt. Already the strongest man in the world they never make clear, is he actually strong or is he just nuts? They are deliberately keep that in the dark. I mean, Little Pete has arch enemies. Like, I mean, <laughs> yes. paper cut. It's uh, the whole thing. Like, it's uh, certain semblances just goes like borders on the surreal and at the same time, ultimately still recognizable. Like, as weird as it gets, you're kind of like, huh, but it makes sense like it never it never crosses a threshold that goes there's very little that you have to jump over like uh there's the the classic example you're allowed to have one big lie for your story and then beyond that you have to stay within some semblance of the world you've created none of it it's lie even if it had won an episode was nothing more than a babbling brook to cross and still remain completely recognizable to a childhood memory that you had and that's exactly it, because it's not striving to be life. It's not actually trying to remind you of what can really happen. It, it's not aiming for reality. It's aiming for verisimilitude of your childhood memories, which are fuzzy and not quite believable. So in a sense, if these are the four heartbeats that demonstrate childhood, for instance, why do these four, the sad, the funny, the beautiful, the weird... Why are they the things that resonate with us beyond and well past our childhood? Why do those things stay? I do think that there's more that like they're they're more than just for childhood memories. Sure. But I think that in in the case of childhood memories, they have a particular meaning. Beauty is probably going to be more akin to safety and when the world was made more sense. Mm. 
Or when sense was simpler. Yeah, of course, with your memories, when you look look back on it, it makes less sense in hindsight, <laughs> but it seemed to make more sense then. One of the things I always wonder when people ask questions like this is, is kind of like, I almost say something like, why ask why, right? So the fact is that these are these are kind of the thing. These are themes that appear again and again in storytelling, and we can say that they're intentionally brought out or they're intentionally brought to the surface, or we can say that they're just these sort of these are things that stick around, right? These are these are you know sort of intrinsic to our stories. That these this is something that commonly gets brought up again, and and we could try to explain it, but I don't think anybody intends it. I think that it's just part of life, right? You're you're almost hanging on heartbeats of life. I mean, these are things that. These are the, really like the four real main components of life. And there's also the fact that I think, you know, you can you could almost break down life or a story in general, like the way memory you, you sort memories or quite a few of them is, you know, you remember the things that were amazing or took your breath away as your beauty or your aesthetics, the things that made you laugh or just kind of just broke things. Something weird is always going to stick out in your mind, like, you know, when you saw something that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I always think of, you know, the one of the prime examples from what I've seen is, you know, like Scott's run, Pennsylvania. And there's three other Pennsylvania towns, but I'm going to leave those off the map. And uh, or, you know, the the things that are sad, those are those are almost a uh, chapter point. I mean, they're almost, you know, bookends. That is a point, you know, they they mark the end of an era like i always think sad things like you know there can be happiness after but sad points almost feel like they they chop off at the end of i could see that i mean in a way the weird in your childhood for particular i find the weird moments are discoveries they are moments where you see more of the world than you did before and you're not certain of what it means or what it should mean yet you might find beauty or joy in that or sadness after but or sometimes there are things you stumble upon your family and adult like rituals my Family background is highly Slavic, and I remember coming home one day and finding my parents eating bananas and sour cream, which is disgusting. Yeah, I was trying not to say that, but yes. No, it is. I mean, I, I like most things of Slavic food nature, but I saw that one and went, I know. <laughs> but for I, them, I'm this... sorry, were, were you expecting agreement on that? Because I refuse to agree to that until I try it. <laughs> Very well. I will let you try it on air, and we will listen to your screams of horror. Sounds good. You mean gags of derision <laughs> on the other hand on the other Excuse hand us. tom i don't know if you've done this i think you have but i know i have uh i have actually tried the uh twinkie wiener sandwich from uhf and uh it is surprisingly not anywhere near as bad as you'd expect fried yes. pickles as well the texture is oh i can't stand pickles in general so the texture is better if you dip it in milk like in the movie <laughs> that's true a lot of the things you're told as a child are what if you did X, Y, and Z? And it's just a rumor that gets passed around until someone eventually does it and realizes, no, you never do that. You never <laughs> stick your tongue to the pole. You just watch and wait for someone else to be dumb enough. <laughs> well, I, I knew a girl in high school who stuck her tongue to the pole. That was, I, she was actually the daughter of someone famous, but I will leave that off air because this is publicly said. It did happen, but, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I believe it. I, I went to summer camp years ago, and I will never... This is a certain kind of cruelty children have. I will never remember the name of this one girl other than for the one we gave her, which was Poppin' Fresh. And you can probably guess why that is. She was perhaps slightly in shape, similar to the figure, but people would poke her in the stomach and wait for the laugh to emerge. And eventually, after conditioning for weeks on end, she did. 
I will never remember her name. I will only remember it as Poppin' Fresh. And as a child, it's kind of funny when you think about it as a four or five-year-old or seven or eight-year-old. But the older I get, the more, the sadder that is and the more revealing of what children are like at times it is. You monster. <laughs> you monster. Oh, we I killed you. Them. You killed me. Oh, wait, I never killed you. You monster. It is, though. You, the weirdness I find partially stems from more of the sadness, too. I had a teacher years ago who raised a pig, named it and everything, and then one day her uncle came to visit. This was in Puerto Rico. It was a suckling still, and they had dinner. Her pet was the meal. Now, she knew they ate pigs, but in her mind, naming it and raising it as a pet meant that this would be her, hers, would be hers, certainly. To discover that that could be violated, that truth as a child you had established could be overridden by adult decisions. And right there, you have the beats of strangeness and sadness. With... I don't know, um, maybe a little bit of beauty before the sadness. Perhaps. I'm experiencing some schadenfreude. Does that count? I think that hits like, um, you know, not to immediately jump on something, and this isn't something any of us discussed, but it was something that was very amusing about early Nicktoons or, or, or Rugrats to be particular, is watching the babies try and qualify adult actions. Yes. Uh, under like you know some sort of description that made absolutely no sense like you you understood how they got there and you knew why they were wrong because you knew more than they did but at the same time there was something highly entertaining about not just the the malapropisms but the the actual statements of trying to describe why adults did things from the from the vision of a child and um Rugrats actually got away with one of the most risque jokes i think of any of the early nicktoons I think Rocco's Modern Life might have beat it out with the no-tell motel, but uh, that only aired once anyway. But no, there was actually an episode where all of the uh, kids basically strip at the backyard because, you know, babies do that. And then there's this moment where the three of them, I mean, the four of them are looking at each other. And then one of them turns to Lil, the only girl, and goes, uh, Lil, can we ask you a question? Or no, or, or no, no, no. Or, or the lip shits. Or the lip shits. Yeah. Like, they actually had to prove that that was a real name to be able to use it, because the censors are like, that was like uh, the Meet the Fockers. Yeah, you can call it Meet the Fockers if you can prove that's a real last name. I feel very bad. There is a family out there whose last name is Fokker, Dude. and that movie exists. It's almost like having the last name of Herman. Oh, wait. <laughs> Fortunately, I only know three people cursed by that. Yeah, I, I actually, <laughs> we actually know more. Um, not just not just in our family (laughs) oh you're supposed to let that beat sit (laughs) i would but i don't want to look like a complete idiot just a partial one oh my i think that in general the uh these these heartbeats are actually now i don't think they're the only ones i think it depends a great deal on on what you're doing what kind of thing you're watching and I'll give an example of that later. But I, I do think that one of the, the key points, uh, and I think Tom mentioned something like it earlier, is that essentially these four heartbeats are really good at raising and lowering the tension. Uh, sadness and strangeness raise that tension. You don't know what's going on, and sadness catches attention and all of that. And so it, it raises the stakes. And then humor and beauty are ways of releasing said tension. And it really, if you want a good, compelling story, you really have to control the level of tension. And so for a lot of things, uh, especially when it comes to to genres like romance and slice of life, these are the go-to methods of controlling that tension. 
So you're not as likely to see beautiful scenes in action movies, say Transformers 27. Well, I mean, you're not going to see beautiful <laughs> scenes in any Transformer movie, but... Um, not even the transformation itself. Those were hideous, especially in the most <laughs> recent one when they just kind of gave up and had them turn into squares and then reform. Are we talking color out of space hideous? No, probably not that much, but... Uh, so you don't feel your sense of geometry is violated by them? No, not, not geometry. My sense of, of, of nostalgia is violated by them. <laughs> That is a great Onion article from a while back. If Michael Bay were to get his hands on the rest of Hasbro's franchises. He practically does. No, no. They, they went into My Little Pony and the Care Bears and a bunch of others. G.I. Joe was a shoo-in. G.I. Joe was a shoo-in. Uh, though the, uh, the, the remain remaining one left, and I thought I heard that they were going to do a movie, but, I mean, honestly, you could hear anything, is Gem and the Holograms, which bizarrely was slightly more successful than uh, Transformers. So I'm going to throw this out there. Dave has suggested slice of life and romance. Do we think there's a certain limitation of genre or ones where these four beats work best or you'll see them most frequently? Well, I'm going to I'm going to jump in real quick. Um, I'm going to jump on uh, weird real quick. One of the ones I want to bring up and I'll, I'll bring up the what I'm specifically referencing later, but it has a more broader range is on weird. One of the wonderful things is there can be weird that just takes you out of your head and it's just kind of like it's just bizarre. But then there's just weird that's just it's slightly off or it's, as we said earlier, that minor step, that minor lie you have to get past. Like one of the wonderful things about sci-fi, and I think we can all agree for the most part, sci-fi is a tad weird. Um, <laughs> is, a smidge. A smidge. Is that it allows you to examine uh, aspects of life that you do, you can completely relate to or very similar circumstances but putting it in a completely different realm, it kind of allows for a study of it. And so I would say, I'm not sure, you know, how much you can limit it. Like one of the comments from uh, Isaac Asimov was that he could write sci-fi in any genre. It's why he did his uh, Caves of Steel and such as that mm -hmm. was to prove I can write a mystery and still have it be sci-fi. Like, or write a sci-fi and have it be a mystery. And people didn't think that was possible. And... I'm not sure that it's completely limited. I, I'm sure there's an aspect where we you would really step out of the four heartbeats, but I at mean, that point... I don't think it's limited per se. I just think that there are actually other levers that can be used. So, Jared mentioned action. Action has another set of levers, which is, for all intents and purposes, call them heroism and danger. Danger is your tension raiser, heroism is your lowerer. You know, when people are badass, it, it's kind of like, oh, they're being badass. So I'm invested, but it's not like it's heart pumping, but it's like the tension's lower because, you know, you're getting out of danger, not into it. And so a lot of action movies, not necessarily the best ones, but a lot of action movies dump some of the the, the four heartbeats we're discussing. Uh, I would say probably the most memorable of them keep some level of the four but a lot of them, and you can have a very successful action movie that, that you know, just relies on a bit of strangeness, a bit of humor, and uh, just, you know, heroism and danger. I don't know. That, I mean, I get, again, that you're talking about, like, certain, a lot, lot of action movies. But if you're talking about the best action movies, right, when you, I think of movies like T2 or uh, The Matrix uh, or movies like that, these are movies that hold the weird. They hold the sad. They hold the funny. And... They hold the beautiful. These are all four things that are in those movies. Oh my goodness. And I would say that we pull to we point to iconic move action movies. And while well, talking about your diehards and things like that, those are front and center. 
So in a way, the pieces that tend to define the genre or say how the story should be told now often will pull in beats or highlight them in ways we haven't anticipated or expected before. Right. It it is true. Most of the really memorable action movies are not devoid of the four heartbeats. Uh, Die Hard was a pretty good example because it really plays up on McLean's, uh, especially the original, plays up on his isolation and his... Is he, you know, can he bring himself to do the right thing, even though it is killing him, one man against the world? I mean, it plays up on, I would go with that scene where his feet are cut up by glass, he is all on his own, and he only has one person to talk to. That one person cannot really imagine what he's going through, is outside the situation, can't do anything to help, and yet he's still there for him. I would say that personally, perfectly encapsulates the sadness to beauty side of things that isn't in a lot of action movies. Let me give you another example here uh, from a movie I just saw recently uh, for the first time. If anybody's familiar, I'm sure people are, with uh, Sergio Sergio Leone's first movie in his trilogy uh, with The Man With No Name uh, for a fistful of dollars. This is a movie that, I mean, again, when I get back to, I don't think people intentionally go for the four beats, but they're there in the great movies. So... The uh, A Fistful of Dollars is a movie that starts out automatically with a very weird premise, right? So uh, it's one we've heard before, but a man with literally no backstory, like nothing is ever expounded on his backstory, except for like one thing. He walks into town and, he, and, and it just so happens that he's like the best gu- gunslinger around. And through this sort of like character who's decided, you know, this is the way I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to come into the situation, almost like a Marx Brothers movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. so he literally just places himself in the middle of this already occurring situation. And like, he is literally just doing stuff in the middle of a story that's unfolding around him. Through this, we get um, elements of humor, like when he plays people off one against one another, elements of sadness when, you know, you're seeing the backstory of certain people in the town. And of course, elements of beauty uh, for the same sort of thing where you see the humanity shine through and sort of like the humanity being the sort of chief principal thing that comes out of this character with literally no backstory and literally almost zero motivation. That's what I would say, like, even in a movie like that, an action movie, a Western, you know, a spaghetti Western, just, you know, randomly directed, has all four of those beats, like, without even trying. On on counterpoint, though, clearly action movies do have another set of levers, because if you are lacking too much of the danger or the heroism, you stop thinking about it as an action movie. You know, John Wayne's famous for his classic westerns, most of which you would call call some kind of action or heroic movie, but his uh, final one is actually devoid of a lot of that. It's much more about the humanity and the desperation of the main character, and you wouldn't call it an action movie. And part of the main, and the main reason you wouldn't is it lacks, even though it does end in a shootout, it lacks a lot of that sense of danger. Instead of, instead of using that as a tension builder, the tension is, why the fight is happening it's on the the characters themselves uh jumping off john wayne there's a movie called the naked spur with jimmy stewart um <laughs> it, i okay to be fair obviously a lot of time you think jimmy stewart you do not think actually i don't know why because you got jimmy stewart and it's a wonderful life you've got jimmy stewart and mr smith goes to washington you've got the uh vertigo and um mm-hmm. rear window it does a lot of great films but this one's just odd because of the name, but he plays a, a bounty hunter. And it's one of the, like, the few non-John Ford Westerns that are actually well-remembered that kind of cycles through the four heartbeats. I mean, it's very much more of a, a psychological movie than most of the other Westerns that came out. Like, it wasn't just, a, oh, let's go shoot him up, good guys versus bad guys. It's like, 
hey, it's a bounty hunter going out to find bad guys, but the bounty hunter ain't a nice guy. The bad guys aren't the worst people, and it's kind of it's just kind of turning the whole thing on its head a little bit. All right. So then I have a question for my brothers. Because I went out on a limb on this, this, this action, you know, heroism set of levers. I still think they exist. But all right, can you think of offhand? I will actually ret- retract it because if, if you uh, guys can't, can you think of offhand an action movie that is extremely memorable that skips out on the cl- the four that we're talking about in fa- uh, in favor of pressing the the action, danger, suspense, and all that? The only one that's coming to mind at all for me is speed. And that's more for its campiness than for its quality. Okay, so if we replace the question from memorable to good. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it I'm, becomes a much I'm okay different, with that. It's a much different Other, question, and I think you'd be harder-pressed. I do think that leads us into what Stephen touched upon before, the idea that we can talk about what makes a story and what can allow a story to occur. But obviously, we don't care about... Every story as much as certain ones. The ones we care about the most are the ones we consider iconic, best, memorable. Can these beats do that? Can they lead us there, and can they do it across the genre? I wanted to return to a point Stephen had made, the idea that these beats are what makes the best or the ideal story, the things we remember most. And toward that, I wanted to bring up two things I learned from my screenwriting teacher, Sid Field. He is sadly passed, but these two pieces of wisdom stick in my mind still. The first pertains to scenes, namely in his mind that a scene, a good one, a good screenwriting scene, should either reveal character or move the story forward, or if you could, both. The other, which is from a piece passed down from his writing teacher, Jean Renoir, son of the painter. And this sounds counterintuitive, but when you think about it, really think about it, you'll see it. Films are partially about finding where silence works better than sound. I mean, that's, I'm going to jump in real quick. That's music as well. Like one of the things that most people don't think about is uh, silence is a wonderful tool. Music, everyone thinks about notes and notes are incredibly important, but it's the space between notes that gives those notes presence and importance. And sometimes silence is more important than the actual overall melody or such as that. It, it, it can draw tension. It can give one uh, a chance for pause and reflection. and it's an amazing tool that a lot of people forget about. Like one of the, ooh, I'll do this. I'm going to go really guitar esoteric here. Um, <laughs> so there are two, uh, if you talk to a guitarist, there are two like pinnacle virtuosos of the guitar. Okay. There's like Joe Satriani and there's Steve Vai. They are both amazing guitarists, but I've always leaned more towards Joe Satriani. And that's because from my perspective, He's more musically inclined and more impressive, not just from a theoretical standpoint, but an overall artistic presence, because I think he understands that the space between notes is more important than playing as many as possible in as few seconds as possible. And I think that's, in my opinion, always been Steve Vai's failing. He's still really, really good. And that's not no way a detriment to his talent. But I think from musicality, I'm more impressed by Satch than I am by Vai. If you want a more movie-related or at least video-related example, uh, look to a lot of the failed and really horrible to listen to kids' movies or the bad anime translations where there seems to be this element of we've got to pack every single moment 
with line reads and noise. There can't be a silent moment or we've wasted time. And it shows a complete lack of understanding of scene pacing or even what you're trying to accomplish. This isn't radio where dead air costs money. Uh, I have to correct you on something there. There's no such thing as a bad anime translation. There's good anime translations and there's good drinking game fuel. (laughs) You can go pleasure your fish in a corner. (laughs) Pardon me. You can go pleasure yourself with a fish in a corner. And there go my headphones. Oh, headphones. Jeez. Uh, but, and I think I think what is it? There are there are moments in movies and stories where, uh, and, and to David's point and beyond that, where in a film the audio cuts. There's no music. There's no sound. It's just the events unfolding. Now, in certain instances, it's meant to basically go. Everything that's going on is so chaotic you wouldn't hear anything anyway. And to cut the silence is almost just kind of a way of expressing the chaos of the moment by removing a sense. But aren't the best sort of like, this goes to another point, like we talk about beats and stuff like that. The best departures from one of the four beats or the best departures from normal cinematic stuff like when do you silence is when you recognize, and this goes the same for like most art, right? You have to recognize when to use something. Mm. And then once you know when to use something, if you deliberately take something out of that, that works really well, right? So Tom is talking about chaotic scenes, and he's talking about how if you remove the silence, it it adds the chaos. It's only because you know that silence is an important part of a scene that removing the silence in that instance adds to the the the, the gravitas of the scene, as opposed to detracts from. Do you think silence in particular? We're talking visual mediums, but even in Oh, we can talk music as well. Do you think it lends more to the beats of sad and perhaps beautiful? Where having taken away your immersion in some areas, you're allowed to better appreciate what is Beg- still there. Begging four minutes and 27 seconds. Yes. I, I, I'm i sorry. I realize that that is such an esoteric joke. I might have just gone over the rest of it. You made such a deep cut. You cut your own wrist with the back of your teeth. Okay, to, to explain, it yeah, weren't in band. Uh, four minutes and 27 seconds is a, a modernist expression of a, a, I can't remember the composer's exact name at the moment, but basically he wrote a piece that is four minutes and 27 seconds of dead air. Oh. The whole point is to basically the audience is coughing, pausing. <laughs> I mean, the entire orchestra will turn the page, like will continuously turn the page as they count, and they're always prepared, and people are just waiting for music to start and it is four minutes and 27 seconds of dead air no that is not music that is performance art yeah now i recall <laughs> this the the equivalent which they push back even in my undergrad years is a film piece called the lemon it is a seven minute and something odd second piece of film lovingly showcasing in various forms of lighting a lemon this is one of those moments when when monty python shows that it was ahead of its time and what it was writing as humor could actually be art because that uh actually when did the lemon come out oh this is more recent than python i think okay because there was an episode of monty python that started up with a review of a of an artistic movie that essentially was supposed to the, the the theme was supposed to be man's difficulty connecting with other people and man's inhumanity to man. And they accomplished this by 
most of the scenes with characters in them, and it was a very short skit, most of the scenes with characters in them were a man and a woman in a junkyard, and she's holding a, pizza, a cabbage, and they're saying hi to each other and not knowing how to continue the conversation. And then, just to show man's inhumanity to the other man, they spliced in occasional scenes of extreme like violence of buildings being blown up and, and guns being fired. Oh, also, I uh, I do need to apologize. I was a little off. It was four minutes, 33 seconds by uh, John Cage. Um, so you officially I, have to recant your, recuse I have, yourself. I have to recuse myself. I no, no, no. We're just going to, what we're going to badly do, and, and people are going to be wondering why until this point, is we're going to cut the four minutes, 33 seconds, <laughs> in, and we're going to splice it over every Ooh. time you said a different no, amount. Better yet. When he says the other time before, we're just going to put silence in. I like it. I like that one too. But Tom, can you give me an extremely bad reading of uh, like? Can you give me a, a droning four minutes and thirty three seconds? Four minutes and thirty three seconds. All right, now we've got off. That's gonna be a wonder <laughs> edit. <laughs> no, no, that is all on your brother. I, I, your that, you, you act like that's gonna be hard to edit. That's not hard to edit. It's other stuff that's hard to edit. It's editing me out of this conversation that's going to be hard to edit. Oh, I'm just going to chop this section. Uh, the explanation will be in there somewhere. But... <laughs> I was talking about this entire radio show. Oh, right. No, what you don't realize, Stephen, is we've got a filter on the computer that's translating you into the pleasant sounds of buying sheep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We're going to have to come out with three different versions of this. One, where he's re- one regular, one where he's removed, one where he's buying sheep. I am demanding a subscription for the latter. <laughs> Yes, if you ever set up a Patreon, <laughs> or we ever set up a Patreon. Oh, no, we... what we need to do is we need to have a show where you can't tell whether I've been edited or I'm just speaking in Baz the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't know which version you're listening to or not. His buying will still be better than any of Michael Bay's baying. So... Oh! oh. Ooh. Uh, I, I can't actually replicate the boo from The Princess Bride. <laughs> Hold on, I need to get further from the microphone. Okay, we now have official animal noises from all three of the brothers, Herman. There we go. All of you should be replaced. I shall talk to animals for the rest of the show. You know, that would make a lot more sense than our next conversation. Quite possibly. I do want to ask, because I think it's the right time for it, is there a proper order of pacing to the beats? And perhaps not just an order of pacing, but a placement in a scene or in a moment. Uh, okay, I'm gonna state I I don't think so. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump out and toss in up to the mix. Up starts. There's this you know kind of joyous moment, and there's there's a little bit more to it because there's also kind of the you know the hardness of being an adult. But the real jumping off point to the story of up once everything really kicks off is sadness. I mean, mm. borderline beyond depression. It takes you through the heartbreak of losing your soulmate. Yeah, soul-crushing this... despair. Well, yeah, it's funny soul... because the initial montage has all four beats in sequence, oh. remixed. Yes, no, it really does. That that short, it, it, it really does hit all four heartbeats. But, it, the like, you know, when you think of the story proper, like if you get past that, yeah. it starts sad, it goes to, goes to weird. I mean, taking off in a balloon. Squirrel. Is, yeah. yeah. It's funny because the squirrel is dead. <laughs> and, though, and that is well, and that, and that is, is, is strange and funny. And yeah. the, the dogs being able to talk, you can definitely say, is, is weird. Uh, not just beyond the, you know, the, the house flying. The yeah, whole I mean, movie hits all of the notes. And, it, and the benefit is, is it doesn't just hit each one of them once. Like, 
we wrap before we get to the ending, we wrap right back down to another sad point to him trying to save his house for his wife Mm -hmm. and then realizing he does it by giving up the things he has in front of him to realize he needs to give up on it to save what's still around. And it's this, and it's just this cycle of, you know, the sad to the strange, to the beautiful, to, to funny back to sad and coming right back up again. To your point, I think what's fascinating and the weird in that film is that there are these twists. There are the moments, the big lies that occur. For instance, the house flies. That is the big lie. Oh, yes. And you accept it. So then you think, okay, this is the weird that will occur. This is the magic that happens. And you actually find out that the lie is not that the house flies, but that you're in a world where people can do the amazing, like make a house fly. Or be like his famous hero who has managed to live this life, this entire existence that he still wants to try. And when he finally encounters this man, this person... His childhood hero. Yeah. It is crushing. He's a monster. The man has become... The worst of humanity. You know, it actually brings up a thing a friend of mine said to me that was passed on to her as a form of... I don't know if this is considered comfort or not, but she said, it's not that we change as we get older, it's simply that we become more like ourselves. And so you have to wonder, this man, this hero, when he ventures out to discover and become famous, what is cast away to make him who he is at the end there? I realize this is not a reference that is in vogue these days, but I can think of no better way of of summing that up than with the old Bill Cosby joke. Well, they say, say cocaine enhances your personality. And I said, what if you're an asshole? <laughs> yeah. Um, though I think that's a, a great way of looking at it. The, or, frankly, the, the desire to prove one's detractors wrong becomes such the pinnacle that you're willing to cast everything else aside. To, in a sense that you're willing to destroy what is beautiful before you. I mean, he's, he, in front of him, he has proof of this beautiful creature. Now, the scientists of the world say that he's made it up. Sure. But he knows it's real. Well, who gives a flying fart about the idiots of the world? You know you're right. Like, Also, part of me sitting here going, like, you, you lived long enough, camera. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but I, I think that's what makes up interesting. And I think it goes back to why the, note, the, the beats are important, is in the midst of this incredibly strange setting, is an intensely human story about the loss uh, like that a lot of people have felt at least one aspect of, the loss of a loved one, abandonment by a parental figure, the rejection of one's peers. All of these are surprisingly normal notes, just writ large because of the, the strangeness and the majesty. So that's all for tonight. If you like what you hear and you want to show you as a born, you can subscribe to us at patreon.com slash Diaries. That's with a Y for a dollar or more. There are all kinds of rewards, including access to our online workshop and Discord. Of course, if you have a story of your own that you'd like to share or have us revise, you can write to us and my name, dot my last, and you me tires. See you all next time.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.